0: The Student Support Services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs at Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success.
1: This is Star Gibbons here with Dr. Haskett for Beyond the Bell Tower podcast.
2: Dr. Haskett, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I teach in the psychology department. Okay. And I've been at NC State a long time since 1990. It's Thirty years, yeah. So I've been around quite a while. Um, have seen a lot of changes at NC State, and have also seen a lot of things stay the same. Right. Um. And I'm excited to have this conversation because I have such incredible respect for this podcast and the students who have been involved in this truly movers and shakers and are making a difference through their commitment of time to do this and the emotional energy to do it. So I am thrilled to be part of it. Thank you for having me. So I come from North Carolina originally. Okay. Um, I grew up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, right. a very small town in the northeastern corner. Yes. You're nodding your head. you know what I was say? Yes, amazing. I've never been there, <laughs> but I've heard about it. Um, small town, uh, farming community um, was an interesting place to grow up in the 70s. Uh, uh, a lot of poverty, a lot of racial tensions. I grew up when schools were first becoming integrated. Oh wow! So that was, um, you know, an interesting time. Yeah. And I uh, was in Elizabeth City, born and raised, and then went to Meredith College. Okay. As an undergrad, another fairly protected, bubbled existence. Yeah. Right? Um, and then after getting my degree in psychology from Meredith. I uh, went to Florida State okay. in Tallahassee, home of the mighty Seminoles. <laughs> they were mightier when I was there than they are now. <laughs> and um, my degree is in child clinical and school psychology. Okay. And I uh, started doing research there in child maltreatment and family violence, and continued that work in my first job out of grad school, which was at a, um, a hospital in Jacksonville, oh. Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spent a couple of years there, working in a children's crisis center and um, a sexual assault um, mm. facility. And then I found myself doing research there, and I never planned on being a researcher. Right. But I became pretty interested in trying to answer some questions about the, the populations that we were serving. And um, thought, well, maybe research is my yeah. my calling. So I applied here. Came for the interview and almost 30 years later. It's still here. I'm with you. Yeah. That's
1: really interesting. I I have a few um other professors or just like mentors around campus who um they've also worked like again like with abuse and trauma, those kinds of things, and then they ended up doing research in something completely different. So oh, that is that's, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the way that the world works. Makes you want to ask some questions and yeah. answer some questions. That's right. Yeah. 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 What are maybe some of your proudest moments since you've been here at NC State? Ooh,
2: that's interesting. You don't oftentimes reflect on that. Um, I suppose that one of the things I'm proud of is the fact that our research team has been able to balance some high quality research with Mm -hmm. clinical practice and policy so we are not too singularly focused on the research we've been able to to be productive in research but also to have our our investigations have some real world significance and also for some of our research to frame policy yeah, that's good. But That's a piece that a lot of people miss. It's, it's hard to <laughs> yeah. do it, it because um, the university environment um, heavily reinforces yeah. research productivity yeah. and grant funding.
1: Yeah,
2: And, um, you know, you have to sort of balance the mm. need to fulfill that obligation with what drives you and motivates you yeah. and your students. Yeah. Um, and so I think we've done pretty good job of balancing that over the course of my career. Mm-hmm. We haven't in any one point in time been able yeah. to necessarily accomplish right. all three, but yeah. That's great. what has yeah. your experience been with research overall? Sure, so I am really interested in how um, parents and families shape children's development and and children's mental health functioning. So I'm really interested in what happens in the home and how children take lessons learned and experiences in the home and how those experiences shape their relationships with Mm -hmm. other children. And I'm specifically interested in kids where there's been some real challenges in the family like child maltreatment, um, family violence, family homelessness. And we're specifically interested in my research team on kids who have been exposed to those difficulties Mm -hmm. and are doing fine Mm -hmm. or doing well even. Mm -hmm. Those kids are often referred to as resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're really interested in understanding what leads to resilience. Um, so oh. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Really, I'm sure. all ears. <laughs> the things that we have found in that research is that the quality of parenting can really be protective for kids. Yeah. Even kids that come from difficult backgrounds. Yeah. Even parents that have been found to use abusive discipline Mm -hmm. can still be loving, caring, nurturing Mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, the kids do much better than in situations where there's been maltreatment, but without that context yeah. of a loving caring adult in their lives. So one of the things we try to do with respect to interventions and and helping mm-hmm. kids is we promote positive parenting using evidence-based parenting programs.
1: That's interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking about that. Something that you just said that reminds me of something that Sarah tells me all the time. She's like, well, you're you're a high-functioning person, a high-functioning student. Or, you know, just people never think like, like if you tell someone, oh, yeah, I've, this has happened to me and this has happened to me too. And I've been, I've actually been through all of this. But it's like, wow, you're a resilient person. It's just Absolutely. interesting to think about like how the yeah. parenting shapes yeah. that. <laughs> so
2: what do you think is, what do you think contributed to your ability to be resilient to some tough situations? My mom,
1: which is really weird, you know, and that's that you just mentioned that. That's why I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, right? So she provi- yeah. provided a really strong yeah. inner,
2: inner core, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. What has your work been like on this campus with food and housing insecurity?
2: <laughs> it has been brand new to me. Um, this is not an area that I knew anything about two Before. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've got know- a <laughs> ignorance and my blind spots. I've been working with students for a lot of years Mm -hmm. now, and I knew that not every student was equally privileged Mm -hmm. and didn't have the college experience that I had or that my kids had, but I didn't understand the scope and the depth of the challenges that a lot of students face. And that's because I wasn't asking the question. I wasn't doing the work to get to know my students. Um in the more recent years I knew that student had challenges because um, I was sending students out to work with kids in shelters Mm -hmm. Um, and so the more work that they did out in the community the more they would come back and you know share their own experiences right I understand what the kids in the shelter are experiencing because I've been there right Um, and and then I had a student um, kind of disappear from the project. And I was at first really angry because those kids at the shelters count yeah. on my students showing right. up every week. Right. And, you know, when I teach undergrad classes, I don't take role because I tell students, you're an adult. So if you're not in class, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you've got somewhere better to be. And that's fine. Yeah. We all have to constantly right. balance a lot. So I don't take role in in my undergraduate classes, but but showing up when students are placed in the community is really important. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were trying to track down this student, and um, when we finally did, we discovered that the student was sleeping in their car. Um, so you know, while the student was working with kids in the shelter, right. the student was experiencing homelessness themselves. And I started asking questions around campus about where are the resources. what what can we do to help? I started making calls at all the places you would think would have people who would be able to help. And they said, well, that's a big challenge. I have no idea, but call this office. And so I'd call that office and that office would refer me to the first office I talked to. And I thought, if I can't figure this out, how can a student possibly navigate this very complex semi-system? Um... But one of the commonalities in everybody I talked to was Sarah Wright. Right. We <laughs> talked to Sarah Wright, and I thought, well, who is this Sarah Wright person? And She must just be the guru of all resources. And come to find out, you know, she works with students in the trio program, which is a very small group right. it's on our yeah. campus compared to what the need yeah. is. Uh, so we need 30 Sarahs um, at least. But Sarah was willing to... You know, go down this learning path yes. <laughs> with me, um, and sort of me just trying to keep up with Sarah and learn from her. Uh, she's so incredibly knowledgeable and wise. Yeah. I think of those as two different things. Yeah. She's got she's yeah. knowledgeable and she's wise, and she's incredibly compassionate, and has been a very patient mentor to me mm. in terms of trying to figure out this world that students are living in that right. I was oblivious to right for thirty years. <laughs> oh you know, being a good academic the first thing that Sarah and I decided we needed to do was collect data. Right. And that was really my foray, my entry into this okay. this work.
1: Yeah. So I guess once you got into that work, what did you see or what did you find? What were yeah. those those big takeaways or mm-hmm. those big aha moments when you're looking at food and housing insecurity on a college campus?
2: Right, right. I think some of the things that struck me, um, the rate of homelessness among our students right. was surprising to me, 10%. You know, that's one out of 10 students in a class of 30 or 40 There's likely to be three or four students in the class that I was currently teaching that had nowhere to sleep, at least at some point during the year. We don't know how long these episodes of homelessness Mm -hmm. are or how many students are experiencing during the year, but we can say with confidence that among 36,000 students, there's going to be 3,600, 3,600 students in the course of a year Mm -hmm. with no place to sleep at night. That is gut-wrenching to me. Right. One of the other findings that I thought was really interesting and has sort of been bouncing around in the back of my head is that students who had experienced homelessness or food insecurity were significantly more likely to offer other students food and a place to stay. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that over the last two years. What You're nodding your head and smiling. Do you have thought on that?
1: I well, this is just kind of me taking it back. Last year, for I'm a Chas student, so for my intro to Chas class, we did our whole our whole entire semester was based off your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, cool. I've, I mean, I've heard these these numbers before, and you know, you guys do know that this is happening, you know, to your classmates and that kind of thing. But that again, that's something that I I thought was shocking. And I think that that goes to speak to kind of like, again, how aware you are of what's going on around you, if you've experienced it. That's right. And then, again, there's that weird thing about being compassionate towards others. Yeah. And that, that empathy, because mm-hmm. you're able to do that. But um, I Able no to
2: do it and willing. Yeah. <clears throat> it's an ability to see it in somebody else and that willingness to step up and reach out yeah. and act on it. And mm-hmm. I think that's... Powerful, and and I I would like to assume that all of our students, if they saw it, yeah, would reach out, but not everybody I think has yeah not I everybody didn't. can see it. I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't didn't. think everybody can see it. And yeah. just another like the
1: college experience, like you're saying that the for these people or whomever, this experience is completely different. And I think that that's something, too, that a lot of people don't realize. Like People will say, oh, yeah, everybody, a lot of people can get to college, but can you stay there? And then you think, like, if you're staying there, are your grades the reason that you you can't stay there because you can't keep up? Or are you worried about things like food and housing? Are those the things that are keeping you from
2: succeeding? Right, you know, right. Just interesting to think about. And it's also really amazing to me that having those struggles and thinking about what what did I eat yesterday, I haven't eaten yet today, what, what am I going to be able to find before the day is ended, <clears throat> and still maintaining yeah. that GPA, because yeah. um, we didn't find big differences in GPA between students who were struggling and those who weren't. Now, maybe that's because the students who were struggling mightily weren't here to take the survey. Right. Right, so we're, we're pretty sure we're losing students. Yeah. In fact, there was an exit survey conducted, I believe it was conducted by DASA, um, for students who had stopped out, mm-hmm. which is um, university language for dropping out. Right, And I believe a third of students who had stopped out um, was at least in part due to financial reasons. Right. So... Yeah, finances are a huge, um, a huge concern for a huge percent of our population of students, yeah. and the resources are not keeping up with the costs. Yeah. So we know that tuition is skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Now, NC State's still a bargain, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> NC State's a bargain. We, okay, I hear you, I know, it's a bargain. But <clears throat> it's still increasing, Right. And, and financial aid is not keeping pace. And minimum wage is certainly not. Yeah, no. (laughs) Minimum wage has been stagnant for decades compared to the cost of living. Um, So students are getting squeezed. It's just, you know, the the financial pressures and the lack of resources coming together. And, um, yeah, more and more of our students are getting squeezed. And one of the goals of the university, which I applaud, from a rural part of North Carolina... Right. So I applaud this goal, but it's to increase the number of students entering from rural counties mm-hmm. in North Carolina and from community colleges. And again, phenomenal. I hope we reach those goals. But what we have to realize is that those two populations of students tend to be less well-resourced right. because they're coming from areas The rural areas, many rural areas in North Carolina, have not recovered from the recession. Yeah. We forget in Raleigh, North Carolina, that there was a recession in North Carolina Mm -hmm. because we've recovered from it here locally. But a lot of the state has not. So we're going to have students coming in because we're actively recruiting students from community college or rural areas. Getting them here is the easy part. Right. What's the hard part? (laughs) Keeping them here. (laughs) Yeah,
1: someone else was telling me, another student advocating for a completely different cause, and she was telling me that, like, the administrative response was, we've met this financial goal, we're going to recruit more students, we're going to bring in more students. And it's like... Well, what are you going to change here to keep them there? Or what's going to be different in the climate and the resources that we actually have here?
2: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because if they're going to be spread thin and we're going to have more students' yep. weeds, um, this is why I'm really, really hoping that the university will move on the call to action that we just yeah. released. Because if we don't get a handle on it now while it's still manageable, we're yeah. going to be in for a really, for, for a lot of students hurting. And a lot of students not finishing, but in debt. Yeah. I'm just thinking like you're saying, like, okay, for me personally, as a student,
1: I've relied like even when school was free (laughs) in public schools for elementary, middle school and high school, I still relied on free food and someone to consistently like give me the things that I need. So to now come here and.
2: A double whammy. (laughs) Right, right. So let's, let's, even if it was free, it would still be us, right? Because it's not just tuition. It's not about just tuition. And, and, you know, when I talk about this with people that are just coming around to understanding this, they say, well, don't students have financial aid? And that's because back in the day, back in my Mm -hmm. day, financial aid covered all of your tuition know. Cost, you know cost of living books and, and all of that it I was know. possible you still to have to get your books after you pay tuition
1: with the money from wherever you can get it from right. you know so. right. Could you tell us a little bit about that call to action that you just mentioned, too?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I think the university has a lot to be proud of in terms of some recent initiatives. Mm-hmm. You know, there's PAC Essentials website now that has some good, good resources there. Um, it's a good start. Right. Um, students can get a $500 um, you know, grant now for emergency needs. That's fantastic. That's a one-time uh, we know that a lot of students in financial stress and who don't have a lot of extra resources have many times that they mm-hmm. <laughs> could use that $500 right. um, throughout the time that they're here. So that's something that we could, could work on. So, so I think we have a good start on individual programs. Mm-hmm. What we don't have yet is a system of care for students that wraps around the student right. and links the resources. So right now, at best, we have some isolated pockets of right. great resources that students have to run after. Mm-hmm. And it is literally running after when you're looking for food resources yeah. and you're hungry.
1: Yeah. Or if, again, like you're, you're saying it now, if you don't know, then you won't have any help. If you don't have a Sarah Wright that you're going to see every week, you're not going to know.
2: No, no. <laughs> no. There is there is really no, no way to know. Now, we do have Pack Essentials, so if someone finds themselves there, um, they can at least connect with the student ombuds, Mike Giancola, and Mike is probably aware of most resources on campus. But how many people know about Pack Essentials so far? We need a major mm-hmm. campaign. So the call to action has a number of parts, and one part is to officially convene a group of students mm-hmm. and staff and faculty with expertise and passion around this, and charge them with coming up with a comprehensive plan. Right. right. So let's have some experts right. in place to, t- right. to um, inform the university about what needs to happen. Now, in the call for action, we think we have some pretty good ideas. Right. But that group is not charged to make any change. Right. So the first thing is to convene a group of people and then follow their recommendations. One of those recommendations is to link these resources through some basic needs navigators. Um, Another recommendation. Um, The university is currently reviewing its strategic plan Mm -hmm. and developing a new strategic plan. The current steering committee believes strongly that one of the goals of the strategic plan Mm -hmm. needs to be that 100% of our students have adequate, appropriate food and safe, stable housing. Yeah. That should be one of our strategic goals. Yeah. If that's a university goal, every unit on this campus is going to be thinking about what they can do to contribute. Yeah. And that's what we need. It's a culture, culture change. And then third is we have expertise on this campus to solve the world's problems. We think and do the extraordinary, right? Right. (laughs) Um, The university needs to put together a group of experts and researchers to solve this problem of food and housing insecurity from a research perspective. We have people doing food systems, world food systems. Right. Surely. We can get it done here. Surely we can right. get it done here. Yeah. And one of the things we're saying is that we think and do the extraordinary here. How about let's start with the ordinary? Yeah. How about let's start with students yeah. who are well-fed and safely housed? Yeah,
1: food and housing is an, an ordinary
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> issue that can be solved. It can be solved. Yeah. These, these, these are not insolvable challenges. They're complicated. Yeah, uh, But they're not insolvable.
1: They should be prioritized also.
2: So <laughs> there's where that part comes in. Just imagine what our students could be accomplishing yeah, if they weren't thinking about where they could get some food and they weren't thinking about the health challenges that they mm-hmm. were facing because of lack of nutrition. Okay. Or they weren't worried about whether they had the ability to go pick up their stuff that's being stored in their friend's apartment mm-hmm. because it's got to get out because they're in trouble for having too much stuff. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. the, the challenges that yeah. would not be a part of a student's day to day. Imagine yeah. What, what they'd be doing. <laughs>
1: That just made me think of something completely different. Even like over the summer, I stayed in on-campus housing. Um, I was lucky enough to get a grant from Trio and a few other places to stay here over the summer to um, complete an internship and take a couple of classes. And even for the summer housing, even on campus when I was moving, uh, I got that panicky feeling about like, I was moving out and like the um, I guess like the housing people, they came to like check the rooms to make sure everyone was out. But I hadn't checked out yet. So I was fine. But then they started throwing my things away because they thought that I was checking out. And even just that with 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 no no extra housing complications, I was still I had that feeling of like this feels like being at home and getting put out of an apartment your landlord coming to tell you you've got to get out like you know what i mean like yes. that kind of thing or just ordinary things or now it's the end of the semester my meal I, how many dining dollars do i have how many meal credits do i have you know what i mean and i can even i can afford to have a meal plan right now so it's the, for the people that can't afford to have a meal plan mm-hmm. that's been their whole semester
2: mm-hmm. you know and one of the things you said <clears throat> is making light bulbs go off because this is one of the things that i've Come to understand that I should have understood, but didn't, and that is the cumulative effect of those experiences. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a history. Yeah. Of housing being a challenge. Right. And so that episode. Yeah. That some students would think of is kind of a pain in the ass, but yeah. no big deal, yeah. Because they didn't have yeah. that history, yeah. And maybe because they knew that there would be a soft landing, no matter how bad it gets, I've got somebody who can bail me out of this, right? You know? Right. Um, so it's that added layer yeah. that I think people don't understand, and that I didn't understand, even though I do research, yeah. on kids. With traumatic experiences. Yeah. Um, So I think people need to have a better understanding of that. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough to even have access
1: to on campus housing right now. You know what I mean? I have, I know upperclassmen, people who are uh, getting ready to graduate, and their housing situations are completely worse than mine.
2: Yeah. So, what are some of your friends doing? (sighs) That's a good question.
1: Um, Just, I don't know. It's just maybe not saying that they don't eventually figure it out, but it's just an unnecessary stressor. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when semesters change or seasons change, it's just an unnecessary stressor that you hear people talking about. But a lot of people think that it's inevitable. We had a person on the podcast before, and I, we he brought up housing as one of his challenges, and I asked him to you know tell me some more about your housing experience. And then he was like, I thought that's something that NC State student has to deal with. And that's disappointing because, you know, we, we've, like you said, the culture, we've kind of, it's kind of been ingrained that housing will be a challenge, that, that food insecurity will be a thing for a college student when it doesn't have to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other things that you've learned about yourself in this fight that you want to share with us?
2: I think I have just been... Um Forehead slap after forehead slap over the last couple of years in terms of what I thought I knew and mm-hmm. how ignorant. Like what? Um, uh, you know, I again, I knew that there were students that struggled. I didn't understand the scope of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to reach out to students. It didn't mm-hmm. occur to me that I should or could um in my little narrow role um so it just i have found out how little i know <laughs> yeah. and again sarah has been a very patient instructor <laughs> yeah. and you know shaking me every now and then mary you're missing this you know yeah. this issue uh so i'm very grateful to her
1: yeah well how have you talked about this issue to students mm-hmm. um for the students that who are aware or have experienced food or housing insecurity and then to the students that aren't aware. So how do you, how do you even start that conversation? I mean, I know it's like you're saying, it's easy to feel like that's not something that's not my place or that's not really in my, My toolbox to solve right now, or you know, what what can I say? What can I do? So how how do you even start that conversation? Yeah, yeah. Or teach other people about it.
2: Right. I'm not sure I can teach other people how to do it just yet. (laughs) Um, But But you're getting there. I'm trying. (laughs) I'm learning. Um, I think one of the things faculty can do is open up the conversation on the very first day of class by including in the syllabus. Um, language that's inclusive for students. Let's just assume students have zero money to spend in your class. Right. How, what would your syllabus look like if students had zero? Because um, I think faculty assume that, well, you know, students have a little bit for every class. But let's start with the assumption that there's nothing, and then yeah. uh, arrange your syllabus to reflect that. Um, I would also encourage Faculty to include a statement about the pack essentials, the availability of pack essentials. Then we have some language now that faculty can cut and paste into their syllabus. Um, And then reviewing the syllabus, you know how a lot of faculty just kind of skip over and say, "Read it." You know, you got time to read it on your own. It's all straightforward. Read that section, (laughs) and and talk about that section. Talk about the research if you know about it, um, to Uh let students know that there's a significant number of other students who are likely struggling. Yeah. And then to say, you know, if you find yourself, um, you know, without a meal or a, looking forward, don't have plans for safe housing, let me know. And faculty don't have to have the answers. They can make right. a referral to, to yeah. Pack Essentials. And, I, you know, before we had Pack Essentials, it was really tough because I didn't know where to send students because I couldn't, you know, I was right. making all the calls, too, and reaching a lot of dead
1: ends. Yeah. Even with now that I'm thinking about it in in most um, professor syllabus is is there like a section Usually a section with like the counseling center and the women's center those kind of things that uh, package essentials would fit right in there Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're hoping yeah. that that becomes yeah. a thing. You're, you're talking about the language, and I think that um for me, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert or I'm not, you know, completely aware or as aware as I may seem. But for me, with some of those experiences or <clears throat> having witnessed other people with these experiences, I think that the language is a really big part. Just I think that that's, yeah, that's a, a significant part of changing culture and campus climate. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, when people like a like when even when you're having a a basic conversation with a student or another person or uh, the professor is you know adding their their stories into a lecture, just you know not assuming that everyone has access to certain things or resources or um, a kickboxing class this semester Mm. and we're talking about like health and that kind of thing and how can you you know you guys need to eat healthier, you guys need to be healthier (laughs) and. My instructor, she's asking, like, the students whether, you know, um, they live on campus or off campus and where they do their groceries, their grocery shopping and what they eat and how they meal prep. And I'm like, mm-hmm. who has money? I do not have money for meal prep. I, I don't have if I go in the grocery store, I'm not buying anything.
2: I'm not getting healthy. a week's worth yeah, of
1: groceries. Yeah, I'm not getting a week's worth of groceries. So how? Yeah. So how does that even work? You know, just. Things yeah, like that. It's like I can't yeah. even join that conversation
2: because that's not my experience you're left at out. all. You're yeah, left out of it. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know, there's conversations about wellness around um, taking care. You know, time for self-care yeah. and um, yoga, yeah. and you know, that's kind of missing a lot of people. Yeah, who don't have time to go to yoga when mm-hmm. you're working two, three jobs.
1: Yeah. Or even being able to admit that, like me as a student, if if I'm in a group of a room with a group of people talking about how they did yoga and how they made time to meditate and how they made time to go walk through the Wegmans or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, so even having the confidence to even say like, yeah, that's not my experience, or
2: yeah, and you know, <coughs> that's one of the things that kind of hurts my soul um, is students feeling isolated in this yeah and alone and like nobody gets it yeah. and uh, that that's the sad part to me yeah. um, I get angry <laughs> that students don't have, food and housing. I don't know if angry is the right word, but there's this pressure. You know, it's like today, mm-hmm. somebody is yeah. sleeping in their car today. That that yeah. makes me angry. When I think about the feelings that those students must be experiencing when they're not part of the conversation. Yeah. And if you're not part of the conversation, there's that isolation, which just continues yeah. the lack of resources. Yeah. Because the yeah. message is you're not part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. That makes me really sad uh, yeah. to, to think about. And I suppose that's one of the reasons why students are reaching out to other students who have similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Because they understand that feeling.
1: Yeah.
2: And what we need to do is open up the conversation enough so that every student and faculty and staff
1: <laughs> yeah, can do that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <coughs> I'm
1: just thinking still again like that's it's a completely different college experience it's a completely different college experience and then for some people too like you know people say like this is supposed to be the best time of your life you're supposed to be enjoying yourself you know do what you want while you can and, and that's that's not the experience for a lot of people
2: yeah, that comes from a really different life story, right? Yeah, that these four years are time of exploration and. Yeah. No. Uh, but but for for an increasing number of students, it's a time to change the family trajectory. Yes. And it is hard as hell. Yeah. It is work. Yep. Yeah. Again, it's just
1: like be homeless these four years so you can buy a house when you get out of college. <laughs> You know, be homeless these four years so you can give your your family the money that they need to to get themselves a house or to put them in sa- a safe living situation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. you're doing it. You're getting the word out <laughs> this is this is what you're doing. Um, do you have ideas for the rest of us to how how to change that narrative? How to open people's eyes to the full college experience of all of our students? How can we make progress on that, changing that, the mindset? I think that a lot of it is, is
1: a big part of it is awareness, like we said before. And again, everybody's not going to have the intro to task course that completely covers food and housing insecurity. But, and then also like you mentioned connecting the resources and adequately showing students that the resources are available and that they're there for them you know and it it shouldn't be a secret that we have a a food pantry or or, well that's not a secret anymore but it shouldn't be a secret that this is that this happens on campus you know Yeah. yeah I think that that's probably the biggest part and knowing that I guess you, so. A lot of people don't know that their experience could be different, you know. That someone, someone somewhere has the power to ch- to change this for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that that your your call to action though is extremely strong, and I think that that's the path that we should be going. Huh?
2: I'll keep you posted. Okay. Um, we have yet to hear any um, response. Okay, it's been sent to the chancellor and the provost. And We're just waiting. Yeah. For a response, was this in October? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, you've already
1: kind of touched on it, but what what can other faculty do? So we mentioned like the the syllabus, I guess, and kind of referring students to to the resources that are available to them and the the language. But if students feel that like the existing resources or the council don't serve, don't serve their needs or um, yeah
2: How could, what? yeah so I think faculty need to be aware of the student ombuds role mm-hmm. so that they have a place to refer students to the student ombuds is actually a professional who um, works with students confidentially okay on any. Concerns that they have. Okay. So it could be um, a problem with another student you're having or a problem with a faculty member or staff or your advisor. If you try things and can't solve the problem, the student ombuds is there for you, for all students, for any problems. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, an, and an addition now is um, around the PAC essentials and managing that. Um, so so faculty need to be aware that that's their, you know, that the ombuds is really their primary Mm -hmm. referral um, for for students with all kinds of challenges, Um, you know, they just need to try to imagine this non, what what we think of as a non-traditional student's Mm -hmm. life and, and perspective and incorporate that into these discussions mm-hmm. and activities in class. Um, there are small things they can do. They can have a basket of food in their labs and yeah. in their offices um, and just make it readily available to students. Um, I put a coat rack outside of mm-hmm. my lab and just put a simple sign up there that says, need one, take it have an extra leave it. And we've gone through at least 50 coats already um, in the last month. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, and that took nothing but me literally putting a coat rack Mm -hmm. out in the hall (laughs) with a simple sign. So I think that, you know, faculty could do a lot of small things that could make a big difference if... Everybody stepped up.
1: Yeah. what What role do you think that or the impact of your faculty tenure
2: has had in your oh, ability to that's do a good these question. things? That's a good question. I think it has afforded me a level of comfort to mm-hmm. push. Um, you know, obviously, I need to be respectful and appropriate and professional right. and all those things. Right. But I do feel that I can ask some tough questions. And um, I can be a little pushy. Um, I haven't had to be yet. Um, but mm-hmm. if it gets to that, I'm, I'm ready yeah. to push pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I'm tenured and I'm not far from retirement, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have a lot to lose. <laughs> and I feel like that allows Sarah and I to have a really good um, you know, relationship in terms yeah. of co-chairing this work, Sarah has such a deep understanding of the issues, um, and I've I've got some protection of of tenure to to ask some tough questions. Okay. Not that Sarah doesn't ask tough questions. Yeah. Okay. Also, this um, we started this work by collecting data. That is my research data. Okay. This is not university
1: data. Right your your individual research, it's my individual there. research. Yeah.
2: and there's some protection
1: there. yeah um, I'm doing undergraduate research I don't know much about the research world but I do know a little bit about how how that works and all those the the tough hoops to jump through and getting funding for research and getting approval to release things and all all of that so right. I can imagine
2: right right but it allows you some um, independence right? right if they're your findings you get to decide how they're disseminated, right. um, how they're analyzed, what questions you ask that might be tough questions in your data. Uh, so I think that was another decision we made early on that was a smart decision. Uh, there's, there's protection in, in the research. Yeah. What do you What are you doing research
1: on? I'm doing research in social work. It's for the Black Families Project oh, with yeah. Dr. Kiana Cryer-Coupe. Um, so I'm looking at a ton of things right now, but it's It's been interesting so far, and she's still doing more work for for the practice
2: and still doing a ton of things yeah, so, yeah, yeah yeah she does fantastic work so social work is your field
1: no I'm yeah? actually I'm a political science student Oh, okay, <laughs> but okay. I, I'm all over the place so but it, it's been interesting it's, it's a lot of weird connections and again there's that the aspect of policy so I've seen the problems I've you know I've had this experience and then policy is the way for me in my mind to kind of change some things
2: absolutely but, but yeah. then you're also getting the research yeah. which is going to come yeah. in handy yeah yeah very yeah. nicely done
1: well i aspire to be like you <laughs> to be able to, to ask tough questions and to yeah. kind of build that foundation yeah, for I'm myself feeling you're going to be doing that well, thank you yeah um, you kind of already mentioned it and I, th- I think you touched on kind of how you you know got interested in this and you know how you feel about it the anger the passion but have you sat and really thought about like why am I passionate about this like what does what does this work say about me as an individual
2: mm. or what does this project say about me as an individual I have not thought about that um you know it's it's consistent with the work that I've done mm-hmm. all along it's just now with the college population uh, most of my work has been with preschoolers Right. I'm interested in uh, you know these experiences for really young children so it's kind of a natural extension
1: Right. Um, or maybe for like a, a student who who you're let's say just hypothetically you go to a student and you're like I can help you with this issue or I promise that I'm doing everything that I can to help you with this issue and they say well Mary why do you care
2: you uh, know like what why do you care (laughs) (laughs) um you know i think i have some uh i think i have some making up to do i've been here for a long time Mm with 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 it right in front of my nose Mm -hmm. and i've been traveling around the country talking about homelessness and (laughs) um so i have some of the skills and knowledge to do this work and it Feel a very strong sense of yeah. responsibility to get busy. That's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I've got some. I've got some.
1: But that's fair. I'll get there. Yeah. This is just a completely another sidetrack thing that talking to you has just reminded me of when you were talking about how those people who have may have experienced homelessness or or food insecurity are more likely to offer those things to other people. I went home for break, and my mom is laughing, telling me that my brother wants to donate some blankets and leftover coats from out of our house to the homeless people that he's seen on the road my brother has been homeless before you know a little bit older than me um and he's he's experienced these things probably far worse than you know i have and so again what what in him makes him or unless he's he's his you know he's not financially stable you know right, right he's not staying in his own house he's staying with his mother or that's something Yeah. what makes him think that you know he can go and take his leftover coat and give it to someone else and then he won't have one
2: <laughs> that's you know s- stunning to me what what do you think i don't, do I don't you know i just i just driving. thought about
1: it. i don't know i'm I, that, it just uh, you know we've uh, said we don't no, nobody has an answer yet but just thinking about that because he's been homeless before mm-hmm. you know did he see himself as homeless at the time don't think so yeah I don't think anybody does well I mean some people do but usually it's not until someone else says oh yeah that was you were homeless that you realized that you were homeless or you were sleeping in your car that means you were homeless or Mm -hmm. you went from this person's couch to this person's couch to the car yeah you were homeless a lot of people don't realize that
2: I think we all have this vision right this idea of what a homeless person looks like homeless person air quotes um and that's not yeah. what the large majority, yeah. especially of kids and families, that are experiencing homelessness. 75% of kids who are school-aged and homeless <coughs> up, yeah, up, not, not living out in, on the, on the streets, so to speak. So it's interesting that your brother sees, um, I don't know who he's referring to, when he was yeah. probably somebody that yeah. he saw.
1: Yeah, out, out, out.
2: yeah. yeah. And on
1: his... Yeah. And he's my mom, she's laughing, telling me about it because she's thinking he doesn't have any money of his own. You know what I mean? He doesn't have enough money to go and buy himself a coat. Mm-hmm. He's staying on my couch. So she's probably laughing. That's why I think. You know, now I'm laughing, thinking about it. Like, but it's really interesting. interesting to talk yeah. to him about that. Yeah. Yeah. It part of it makes you sad, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that that feels like that's the way the world works or for some people that's that's how poverty works for them mm-hmm. for a lot of people yeah it's not because well i mean for sometimes it is but it's not always because you know it's, they don't want better for themselves or because they choose not to oh, no. do the work I or mean, things like that. you know that's it's another just such just thinking, a common misconception yeah, but just thinking that you're you you've given so now you don't have just thinking about that it's interesting yeah <laughs> But like even for some college students, when they're here sending money home and, you know, putting all their resources to go to things back home, and then, then what? Yeah,
2: yeah. And that's happening a lot, as you, as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all relative, right? Yeah. I don't have much. But I've got enough to send yeah. 20 bucks home. Right. Um, you know, my brother's got a science fair coming up and can't buy the poster board. Yeah, I'm gonna get that poster board. If I can't get anything else, right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. What do you think the next steps are for for the podcast? Somehow get these into the hands of into the ears yeah. of of faculty members. I'm also I'm gonna do a little bit of. Um,
1: research I don't want to call it like formal research into again who's listening where they're listening and do some surveys why you're listening or yeah. or how did you find out about this or that
2: so that would be great yeah, that would be really great hopefully we can get that that cool. done I could see a study <laughs> yeah. I could see a study of um you know faculty yeah. opinions yeah. and perceptions and yeah. knowledge before listening yeah. to some and then after and then after yeah That'd be a really yeah. cool
1: story. We're working on <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Great. I guess my
1: last question for you is what would student activism look like in a perfect world?
2: Mm. <laughs> I get this kind of fires me up.
1: Yeah, thinking about to <laughs> well, go activism.
2: for it. So, <laughs> go for it. I
1: feel like again, you. I feel like you have you have built that foundation for yourself where you're able to ask those challenging questions, and when you're able to be angry and be loud. So how do what what would it look like for students to do that? Well, what questions think, should we be asking? What questions should I be asking or advocating for?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things to know, student voices are everything, and not, student voices cannot be denied. Um, and and I think that there needs to be a level of awareness and understanding of these issues among the general population, and then the general population needs to be fired up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the students who are struggling are working three jobs and an unpaid internship. We can't leave it to the students who are struggling to be the ones to take to the brickyard. Yeah. Awareness of homelessness out there. Somewhere, but not here. Right. That needs to be all about what's happening here. Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week needs to be focused on what's happening in our own community. So until we get a level of awareness and understanding that's saturated Mm -hmm. in the general community of students, I don't think we're going to get... The uppouring that needs to happen, but students mm-hmm. need to be pissed off that there's a student in their class today right. that hasn't eaten today and may not eat tomorrow, right. and that's gonna and be not s- for fun, not for Twitter no. jokes or Instagram no. jokes about eating ramen noodles. You know what I mean? No. You know, not it, you know, and not because they <laughs> bought that fancy pair of shoes and now <laughs> yeah. can't afford yeah. dinner out tonight. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a student on this cold night that is hoping they can disappear in the library for the right. night, um, or sleeping in the very cold car and wondering if they're going to be safe, because it is not safe to sleep in your car. Right. It's a very vulnerable position to be in. Mm-hmm. And and, and we, this whole university community needs to be pissed off and angry about that. If you know it, you need to do something about it. Um, so there's all kinds of things that I think students could do as, as activists, and I'll leave that to students to decide. <laughs> um, but there's all kinds of ways to make requests or demands if the requests are not met. Right. Um, in a way that is socially responsible, right. but assertive.
1: Okay. This sounds a lot like how I try to mobilize people around voting. <laughs> yes. You know? But um, <clears throat> putting a, a a face may be a, a, a good next step, like literally a face, a person with a name on this campus, a, a real student who is, who is comfortable enough to, to put themselves out there like that. Absolutely, you know, and not like a number, you know. Yep, I, I think that that might be a a good next step. Uh, just something I'm working with gerrymandering. And we uh, everybody knows about gerrymandering in North Carolina, but again, that's not one of those issues that seems to have the necessary urgency behind it mm-hmm. and <clears throat> something that my uh, internship teammates and I have talked about. is like, well, what if we talk about a, a, a specific person with a real name in this district to this happened to and let them tell their story and see what that does to people. So Absolutely. maybe I think the same thing could apply here. And I think that it, I, Hope
2: I hope that it would would be impactful. Oh, it would be, it would yeah. be. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you know, as as you guys know, the impact that you had um, in yeah. Red White Week, yeah. you saw it, yeah. you witnessed the impact of people standing up and telling their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. That was extremely emotional. I, yeah. can, I can imagine. I yeah. wasn't there, but Sarah was showing. Yeah. Her. <laughs> I was like. Whoa! Yeah. But I would Um, say
1: a face with food and housing and security on this campus. mm -hmm.
2: So DASA is getting ready to do a new campaign to get the word out about Pack Essentials. And so that would be a great opportunity for students to say, my face.
1: Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. But hopefully Uh, someone is ready. And I feel like the students are ready. I feel like, again, people don't know that other people care. So then they deal with it on their own. they don't deal with it at all yeah but i think that that's i could see that i could see a video saying this is this has been my experience at nc state or Mm -hmm. this has been my experience with food and housing insecurity that would be really hard to ignore it would
2: be (laughs) and it it normalizes it so much it's like oh okay i i know her yeah uh, she was in my class last semester. Right. And this, the experiences are not descriptions of a homeless person like you think. Right. And so it just completely shatters mm-hmm. those preconceived notions to see somebody that you know, some, somebody, yeah. one of us. It's a wolf. Yeah. Pack. Um, you know, it's a member of our our tribe. Yeah.
0: TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal, and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today! Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.